Francis Collins was the director of the Human Genome Project that was mapping out human genomes. He was also appointed by President Obama to head up the National Institute of Health. But I remember in 2007 when he released his book, the, best sell the best-selling book, I should say, The Language of God. And in this book, and if you've not read it, it's, it's, some places it's a difficult read, but there are just some places you just, you just marvel at the grace of God and His life. He tells how as a medical student, and he was a very gifted student, that it was very convenient for him not to believe in God. It was convenient for him not to have to wrestle with the whole truth that there is a God who knows us and loves us. But when he began to practice medicine, one of his patients was talking to him about her faith, telling him how God had transformed her life and what God had done for her. And then this very sick patient looked at Dr. Collins and said to him, what do you believe? And he stammered and he stuttered, and that question kind of shook him. And sometimes that's all it takes with an unbeliever is just a well-placed question at the right time. Sometimes that's all it takes for some of the most gifted, intellectual, knowledgeable people in our world is for people like you and me who don't possess those natural gifts of knowledge and research and medical research that they have, but for you and I just to simply pose a question to them, what do you believe? Dr. Collins goes on to write of how that question began to trouble him. He said it began to unsettle him, and he said, I would tell myself it was a thin question. What do I believe? And the more he struggled and he wrestled with that question, he decided he would go and, these are his words, he would grill a pastor. And so he went to a pastor and just grilled him with all kinds of questions and I kind of chuckled because I've been on that hot seat where sometimes an unbeliever will want to just grill me. And a lot of times they'll ask me questions about science or economics or geology or space, and I'll have to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I know somebody that does know the answer. I know somebody that is a specialist in that area. Can I get you to talk to them? Sometimes they'll go, yeah, I'd like that a lot. And then sometimes they'll go, no, that's okay. They realize, you know, they've asked me to comment upon something that I'm not trained on. I, I'm not trained in astrophysics. I'm not trained in the human genome. He says after he grilled this pastor and the pastor recommended to him C.S. Lewis, he began reading C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis's writings like Mere Christianity that I've recommended to you so many times, and we have some folks in the church reading that book right now, and I can't wait till they're finished so we can sit around and discuss it together. He said he finally realized he had to make a choice, and a full year had passed since this lady had asked him that question. And on his first trip out west, he was hiking in the Cascade Mountains. Honey, you and I have been there. And he said he looked up and he saw a hundred-foot waterfall frozen in place. And he says, I looked to that waterfall and those mountains. He says, suddenly I got a glimpse of the grandeur of it all, that there really was a God and that Jesus Christ had really came 
to save me from my sins. And he said, there in that frozen grass, I knelt down and I surrendered and I committed my life to Jesus Christ and went on later to become the founding director of the Human Genome Project and then to become the director of the National Institutes of Health. It's amazing what one woman's question did and one of the most brilliant men of our lifetime's life. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? God will use you. God will use you. So I want you to join me in prayer, and I want to talk to you about using the gifts that God has given you that the Bible talks to us about and that Pastor Corey has read to you about. So stand with me one more time, and let's pray together. Lord, sometimes it's easy for us to look at a passage of Scripture like Pastor Corey read to us and Maybe as Christians, we've read that so many times that we just read the words rather than listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But if we'll stop long enough, Lord, I am convinced that this morning you will seize hold of our hearts and you will give us the confidence to know that you have supernaturally enabled each of us to serve you, to serve one another, And Lord, maybe sometimes just ask that one question that will get one of the most brilliant minds in the world to thinking until a year later they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I'm asking you that the gift of faith, the supernatural gift of faith, would you trust God with me for that this morning? That the supernatural gift of faith will be birthed in this place And that we will see ourselves as a congregation and as an individual, Lord, being used of you in Downriver, I pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's get started because this is good, good stuff today. Well, as Pastor Corey read that verse of Scripture, and I read it over and over in my study and preparing for this message, One of the things that I came away from was that the better I know Jesus Christ, the better I understand my calling. The better I know Jesus, the better I understand my calling. I won't understand my calling by looking inside my belly button and sitting around moaning and groaning and saying, ah. But the more I worship him, the more I pray, the more I seek his face, the more I come to know Christ. In 2016, in a national survey in the United States of 18 to 24-year-olds, they all reported that the overwhelming majority of them felt like, 86% of them felt like they didn't have a clear purpose for their lives. In other words, they didn't know what they were supposed to do with their life. Claire B. Whelan, a professor at the University of Wisconsin, says, this is not good news. For coasting is existing, coasting is not thriving. The majority of young adults who say they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life also say they're existing but not thriving, while those who say they have purpose are more than often thriving. And what I understand from that is this, is that in the body of Christ, you and I, we talk about this a lot here at Woodlands. As a matter of fact, I'll be addressing it again at the turn of the year as we look at the subject of discipleship for us and what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. We will look at what our purpose in life is. And one of the best ways, I think, of discovering our purpose is to simply look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, and this verse should be in your outline, so I know it's on the screen, but I'd like you to look at your outline this morning because I want you to do a little circling and a little underlining. 
However, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, what I'd like you to do is circle that phrase, He has given. Circle that phrase. Then underline those two words, each one. How many of us is that? Each one. Haley, does that include you? Does that include you? Does that include you? Bob, does that include you? Absolutely. God has given each one of us. So none of us in this room, without calling God a liar, none of us in this room can say that God has not given us a special gift. Jack, does that include you? Each one of us, God has given each one of us. Now, underline this word or circle this word or phrase, special gift. Look at that, special gift. And then notice how He's given it to us through the generosity of Christ. You need to look at that phrase because that's an important phrase, through the generosity of Christ. The natural question then is, what gift has God given to me? And when I give gifts, I give it out of the portion of my ability that I'm able to give. Every first-time guest that comes to Woodland Church, every Monday morning, I write a card to those folks, and I send them a gift from Becky and I. It's not a gift from Woodland Church, but it's a gift from Becky and I. Just say, thank you for being here. We love you. We're glad you came. We want to be able to, to serve you and help you in any way. Now, it's not much. It's a little $5 gift card to Starbucks. It's definitely not to Dunkin' Donuts, and that's how you know I love you. I'm not saying you to Dunkin' Donuts. I'm sending you to Starbucks. But I say, please go and enjoy a cup of coffee on Becky and I. We're so delighted that you came and visited with us at Woodland Church. And I do that to people who turn in and indicate this is their first-time visit. Now, none of you that I'm looking at this morning can put first-time visitor on there this morning. So don't think you're going to trick me into a $5 gift card. But I'll be happy to take you to Starbucks later. Somebody just did their hands like that to me that they're not going to be able to trick me. But we give it to them out of the portion of our ability to give. We, we give gifts to our children. We give gifts to our graduates. We give gifts to uh, other people in our lives. We give out of the proportion of our ability to give. And that's the reason we pray over our offering every week is because we're able to give back to God out of His generosity that He's given to us. So we give with thankfulness out of the portion that God has entrusted us with. Now, one of the things as a giver of gifts, and I hope this doesn't sound self-centered or narcissistic this morning as I talked to you about it, but one of the things when our children was little, I told Becky, I said, I want our children to grow and trust God. So when we go to a restaurant, I don't want them to have to look at the price on the menu before they order. So Becky very wisely said, well, you better choose restaurants, bud, that we can afford for them to do that at. And so we would say to our children, order whatever you want off of the menu. And so they grew up not looking at the price on the menu, but ordering whatever it was that they wanted. And it was interesting to see how that happened because they learned to trust their dad was able to give. And you say, Pastor, why did you do that? Because I wanted them to know in prayer when we would kneel and pray that whatever they asked God for in Jesus' name, God was not only able to give, but God was willing to give because God loved them. 
And I think that's something we need to see here in this outline of this scripture today. The spiritual gifts, that word special gift that I ask you to circle there, that word special gift is actually the word spiritual gift in the Greek, and it would be a lot better translated like that, a spiritual gift that God has given to each one of us. Romans chapter 12 teaches us that God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can work together to serve Him and to serve God. In other words, we can serve God, we can serve each other as we work together. You might want to write down Romans 12 because you can learn a lot about spiritual gifts there later. God gives us these gifts, even though they're very different gifts, and it makes for an exciting church and an exciting fellowship. But also in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Peter chapter 4, you can read there later if you want to write those two references down, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4, we're taught that all of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God's given to us, they have one source, and those source come from Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's very important, and I can't deal with this long, but this is very important to understanding the rest of Ephesians, because sometimes spiritual gifts have caused division within the church, because people get jealous or envious of other people's gifts. And I will deal with that a little bit more at the end of the service. But Paul writes very clearly about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He writes very clearly about that in 1 Corinthians 12. And as you read the rest of Ephesians, you'll see that as well. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to write that down as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, God says, again, in God's Word, He says that spiritual gifts encourage maturity among us. I've often taught you, and I want to remind you again, spiritual gifts are not something for us to boast about. Paul makes it very clear in the book of Corinthians. We're not to boast about a gift. One gift is not more important than another gift. Occasionally, somebody will ask me the question, which gift is the most important gift, Pastor? And I always know what they're leading up to, so I tell them the truth. The gift that's most important is the gift that I need. Hmm? If my plumbing breaks, I don't need a heart doctor. I need a plumber. Do you see what I'm saying? If, if the spiritual gift that we need at the moment is a gift that is necessary, you may have the gift of prophecy, but if the sound system starts acting up, you're not going to be a bit of help back there in that sound room. Let's give our sound and light crew a big hand because they're all constantly working throughout this service to be sure that everything works as well as it possibly can. The president of Shriner College, Andy Edditon, one time, he says, I like sugar in my coffee. He says, as a matter of fact, I use a lot of sugar in my coffee. He said, when I pour a cup of coffee, I put four teaspoons of sugar in my cup of coffee. That is ungodly, and I'm not even sure he'll go to heaven doing that. But anyway, he was pouring sugar into his coffee, and he looked at the waitress, and he says, ma'am, we're going to need more sugar for this table. And she says, bud, steer what you've got before I bring you any more sugar out here. And I want to tell you, that's the same thing that Paul says about spiritual gifts to young Pastor Timothy. He says, stir up the gift that you've got. Friends, there are gifts in this church that are not being used, and they need to be stirred up for the glory of God, for the purpose of glorifying Him, serving one another, and reaching downriver for Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that God gives us these gifts, but they come through Jesus Christ. And that's where I always want to bring us back to, because sometimes we forget how centrally important Jesus is. 
I miss the days of Promise Keepers. I don't know if any of you were a part of that, but back in the 90s, Promise Keepers, and I remember when they came to Atlanta, Georgia, and what just happened is the Georgia Dome was filled up, and people of all stripes and colors, men were worshiping and and serving God together. But they interviewed E.V. Hill, one of the newspapers interviewed him, and they asked him, they says, what is Promise Keepers all about? What do you do? And Pastor Hill, this black pastor from Texas, responded, we're all about Jesus. All we do is talk about Jesus. And the newspaper newspaper reporter asked him, is that all? Is that all you talk about is Jesus? Now, you got to remember, I'm from the South, I'm from Macon, Georgia, the buckle of the Bible Belt. Denominations were founded in my little hometown. The buckle of the Bible Belt. And E.V. Hill looked at that newspaper reporter and he says, is that all? Then, sir, you don't understand who Jesus Christ is. We can never exhaust talking about and praising and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise in this room this morning? (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So number two, what I want you to see next is Paul immediately moves from telling us that God has given us these spiritual gifts, and he quotes from Psalm 68. Now let me read to you two verses of Scripture, first from Ephesians and then Psalm 68. This is why, or that is why the Scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. That's from Psalm 68. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Then from Psalm 68 and verse 18, now Psalm 68 is a wonderful psalm to read, but it's a long psalm, and we don't have time to read the whole one, but just to show you the quote, when you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives, you received gifts from the people, even from those who rebelled against you, now the Lord God will live among us here. Now in Psalm 68, now follow with me because I think if if you catch this, this will make Ephesians 4 mean that much more to you. In Psalm 68, the ark which had been stolen, which had been taken in battle, David is bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The ark is put back into the tabernacle. It's put back into that tent that was built before the the temple was. And the people are praising God because the ark represents the presence of God. So the ark has ascended back and even their enemies are bringing tribute or gifts to David and to the kingdom of Israel. And so what Paul does is take this psalm and he says that Christ, he descended to the lowly parts of our world, and that probably means, and and you can disagree with me on this if you want, but even theologians disagree on this, but after years of studying this, I've come to the conviction that means he not only descended from heaven to this earth where he was born of the Virgin Mary and he lived among us and was crucified for our sins, but he descended into Hades, that place where the, the souls of those that had died were at. You remember Jesus telling the story of Abraham, excuse me, of, of, of the rich man and Lazarus, and, and Lazarus was with Abraham, that place there where the souls of people were, and he preached the gospel to them, and he led captivity captive. So whatever it is, as we looked at last week, Jesus Christ fills the entire universe, but this time when Christ had conquered sin, he had conquered death, he had conquered hell or Hades, he had conquered the grave, he had conquered the devil, Christ gives gifts to the church for you and I. This is so important 
Because what he is saying, and especially if you've been with me during the series on Revelation, when we talked about the Ephesian church, you'll remember we talked about in Ephesus, there was this huge, huge temple to Artemis, and this is where the riot broke out because the revival that took place in the founding of the church was affecting the business of the idol makers. Their business had fallen off, so they began to persecute the church. So, the legend was that Artemis had descended, and that was the point where they had built the temple, and there the church of God had been raised up, and Artemis was being defeated. The powers of hell were being defeated, and Paul is saying to the church, Artemis is a demon. Artemis is not a real God. You don't have to fear Artemis, but Jesus has descended, and he has given you gifts. He has founded his church. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why you and I are known to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen with me this morning? So that's why he descended. He gave these gifts. That helps us understand the context. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus gives us these gifts to equip us, discover, and develop to do the work of Christ. I'll let you write that down. <clears throat> Jesus gives us these gifts to equip us to discover and develop to do the work of Christ. Now, it's interesting the gifts that he lists here, and I need to take a little time and talk about that because he talks about church leaders. As a matter of fact, if you would, go ahead and put that verse of Scripture up for me from Ephesians 4, verse 11, Ed. Jesus has given leaders to the church to prepare the church. Leaders are not perfect. If you shadow me, you'll find out very quickly I'm not perfect. Somebody cut me off in traffic yesterday, and I said, stupid, stupid, stupid. And when I passed by them, I just looked at them to let them know I was unhappy. And about a quarter of a mile down the road, the Lord spoke to my heart and says, you showed nothing of my love to that person just then. And I said to the Lord, that's why I do not put Jesus bumper stickers on the back of my car. <laughs> okay. I just, I, that, is that being honest? Is that being transparent? I mean, they just, boom, cut me right off. And, and I, you know, before I even thought, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you know. And I, I had to pray and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be more patient. Help me to show kindness to people. I could have waved or smiled and said, that's okay, but I didn't. So leaders are not perfect. That's what I want to point out. But leaders are given to us to help us to discover and to develop and use our gifts. Now, look at these because these are particular gifts that God gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Pastor Rick, Pastor Corey, would you stand up? Is Pastor Mark in the room? He's not in the room right now. Aren't these gifts to the body of Christ? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for them? They're gifts to the body of Christ. You can be seated. Our small group leaders, they're gifts to the body of Christ. Let's give the Lord a hand for our small group leaders. They're gifts to the body of Christ. We've entrusted shepherding responsibilities to them. Now, what I'd like to do is, is because we don't have a lot of time, and this, this passage covers all so much material, what I want you to see is when Paul uses this context, the apostles and the prophets who are the cornerstone of the church, he's not talking here in this context. He's not talking about the 12 apostles, and he's not talking about the prophets from the Old Testament. He's talking about ministry gifts that are alive within the church. Sometimes 
Sometimes all five of these gifts have been seen working in some people's lives. Sometimes a gift mix of two or three have been seen working in some people's lives. Sometimes some people have only had one gift. That doesn't matter because our gifts are given to us by Christ. It's not a matter of how talented we are. That's not what this is about. This is not about talent. This is about spiritual gifts. And we are not to be envious because God gives the gifts. We thank God for the gifts that He's given us. These gifts, whether it's these gifts or some of the gifts I mentioned to you earlier from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 and 14, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, these gifts are given to us by Christ. Now, what do these five gifts do? Some of you have heard the five Five-fold ministry. I won't get into that this morning either. But number one, apostles awaken our dreams, and they help us to live out our calling. That should be upon the outline if you put that there. So folks, if you want to write these down, these are not in your outline. But apostles awaken dreams in us. They help us to live out our calling. Apostles go into places where there, there's not a church, and they, they plant a church, and they build a church. A number of years ago, it was my privilege to go into a, a community where for over 500 years, 500 years, this community had been established, and the gospel of Jesus Christ had never been preached. It was like stepping 150 years back in time, and I was able to preach the gospel. There were signs and wonders. We saw people healed of diseases. We saw blinded eyes healed. We saw communists come to Jesus Christ and commit their lives to Christ. We saw people with guns lay their guns. It was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. I don't believe that I'm an apostle, but in that instance, I think that the Lord let me see what the gift of apostle was because all that was there was myself and a few people that were helping me and a Spanish interpreter. And we began a church under the tent in Santini, Paraguay that is still thriving and still going for Jesus Christ today. Because apostles awaken dreams and they help us live out our calling. And we were able to put a good Paraguayan pastor in there who loves God and loves that community. Number two, prophets. Prophets, is that's a very very, very interesting gift there. Prophets pursue the peace of God or the shalom of God, and they call us to live out the kingdom values. I mean, when you read Micah, when you read Habakkuk, when you read what Isaiah wrote, when you read the prophets, they confront the people of God when we fail to take care of the poor. They confront the people of God when we come to church or they went to the temple and they made sacrifices, but their hearts were not in it. What prophets do is they come to the very quick, and they call us to live out the kingdom values of our life. Now, Jesus, you see the apostle gift in him. You see the prophetic gift in him, especially as he begins to preach about the, what we call the Beatitudes. Evangelists are a different group of people altogether. Evangelists live out. Go ahead and put that one up, please. Evangelists live out the good news, and they share it by witness and by example. In other words, an evangelist just cannot help to talk about Jesus. You know when you've met an evangelist, not because they give you seven easy steps to salvation, not because they ask you if you die tonight or you're going to heaven, but when you get around an evangelist, they just cannot help but talk about Jesus. If you talk about motorcycles, pretty soon they'll start talking about Jesus. If you talk about camping, they'll pretty soon start talking about Jesus. If you talk about the Human Genome Project, they'll pretty soon start talking about Jesus. And the reason they have such credibility as evangelists is because they live out their witness. And I believe Dr. Francis Collins has the gifting of an evangelist because of the way he lives out his calling and how respected he has been. 
Pastors, pastors seek wholeness and holiness by cultivating New Testament koinonia. And a few months ago, I taught on koinonia. Koinonia is the gift of fellowship. It's a supernatural gift of fellowship that God gives to the church. Koinonia is more than having a cup of coffee together. When I have a cup of coffee with you, you and I have the potential of having fellowship together if we're both born-again believers. When I have a cup of coffee with an unbeliever, he and I are talking together, he and I are having an experience together, but we don't enjoy that supernatural gift of koinia where together we're in the body of Christ. My prayer is that that person is going to renounce the kingdom of darkness and allow Jesus to transfer him from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of the dear son of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? And then pastors, what they do in that is they seek to, that we live in wholeness, that we live in the shalom where things are sh as they should be, but we also live in the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is what we describe as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, teachers, teachers immerse themselves in the scripture. They live in the Bible. They live, eat, drink, sleep the Bible, and they Teach us the story of God's love and how to apply that in our lives. So again, let me say, some people have all five of these gifts. Some people have a gift mix of two or three. Some people only one, but we give God the glory for all of them. They're not perfect, but they're there to equip us and to prepare us that we can serve God together. So can we give the Lord a hand of praise for all these ministry gifts that God has given to the church? And then finally this morning... The goal of spiritual gifts, these transforming gifts, the goal is unity, maturity, and love in Christ within the church. I'll give you a moment to write that down. Corey, would you bring me a bottle of water, please, sir? <coughs> the goal is unity, maturity, and love, thank you, in the body of Christ. Don't let every, anybody ever tell you that we just try to give you a warm-up for, sun we, I try to give you everything in the first service we do in the second service. Sometimes we'll get another story or another illustration in, but we try to get through everything for you. Look at Ephesians 14, 14 13, 4, 13. This will continue. That's an important phrase, underline that. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. Years and years ago, when I was still wet behind the ears as a young preacher, I started preaching when I was 16. I can't believe people would even have me come in when I was preaching at 16. I had no more business being in a pulpit, but people started asking me to come. And Pastor Rick, once I accepted the call, I went. But I'll never forget this old man walked up to me one time. He had a Mountain Dew. I'll never forget it. It's just, if you ever have those memories in your teenage years, they just stick with you, you know, and you can't forget them. He had a Mountain Dew. I can see that bottle of Mountain Dew. And he looked at me and he says, son, you're never going to run out of a job. There, you're never going to run out of things to do. I says, how's that? He said, because there will always be sinners to co convert and the church will never finally grow up. <laughs> And I thought to myself, well, I like the first part, but the second part. 
And then when I got to my Bible, the goal is until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. When I read that, <clears throat> I thought about that old man and that mountain dew in his statement to me, and I says, Lord, I'm not fully grown up yet. I may not be wet behind the ears, but I'm not perfect yet. I still got some growing. Ladies and gentlemen, understand this. It is a lifetime experience of sanctification or growing in Christ, and God is never going to give up on you and me. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Now, look at, look at the next verse, verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and we won't be blown about by every wind of new teaching. Now, we understand that in Michigan when we get these high gusts of winds that peels off shingles and siding. We won't be blown about by every new wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Now, let me point out two things to you. Number one, as a pastor, as a teacher... As someone that believes that God uses me to awaken dreams in people, it's very important that you understand unity is being built when church members and Christians are being taught to serve one another. Because God doesn't give you a gift for you to put it on a shelf and admire it. God gives you a gift to serve him by serving one another. The second thing I want you to understand is that Christians and members of the congregation build unity when they allow themselves to be equipped and to serve, one, serve God by serving one another. That's the reason in our discipleship classes, we have a class called Discovering My Ministry, which is we refer to here as Class 301. And discovering my ministry, the first thing we do is try to help you discover your spiritual gift. You can go through that with Pastor Rick and Hines. We try to help you discover your ministry gift, your spiritual gift, and we try to help you discover your personality profile, who God has called you and equipped you to be. And you don't have to be a Christian for a long time to begin to discover your gift. But also, if you stick around in the church, you will find that you're not a Christian for a long time before you discover some people have been sitting in church for a long time, but because they've never gotten involved in ministry, they've never really grown in the Lord. And one of the things that happens when we don't grow in the Lord, even when we have our spiritual gift, is suddenly we think we're an expert. We think we're an expert. One of the most dangerous things is a college graduate. One of the most dangerous things is a seminary graduate. One of the most dangerous things is a person who has a gift that has learned about the gift, but has never used the gift, never had his ears bloodied, his nose bloodied. He's never had some real experience, but he knows how everything's supposed to be done. My son was recently telling me about a young man who's not married and has no children telling him how to raise a family. He says, Dad, he had no cred whatsoever. <laughs> you see, you get out there, you make mistakes, you bumble, you stumble, you fumble along, 
but it's a part of growing and being a part of the body of Christ. Look at this verse from verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'd like you to circle that phrase, we will speak the truth in love. And then I'd like you to underline boldly that word we. Because everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs somebody that can walk with them that they build relationship with that can speak the truth in love to them. Now, most of the time when somebody tells you, I've got something, but I want to tell it to you in love, you do this. You start getting ready to protect yourself. But when you walk together and you know one another and suddenly you have a mentor or a coach, you're in a small group and you're growing together, you're loving each other, People know your giftings and your gifts. We can speak, to, and they, we know we love each other. We know we're trying to help each other grow. It's one of the most loving things that can happen. I told you last week, I am convinced, especially after having lived with this book of Ephesians for so long, and it was a convicting moment for me. Most of my spiritual growth, I don't believe, has come from reading my Bible and praying. It's come from the influence of people who have been willing to walk with me in my life and coach me, mentor me, correct me when it's been needed because sometimes the correction of a friend is like a kiss on the lips. Can you say amen? And that is so important. I'd like to say one final word about this before we do our, and I know we're out of time, but before we do our growth work, if you've not been through 301 yet, then what I want you to do is just understand this. Don't wait to start discovering. Because as I read Ephesians 4 and I look back at Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans chapter 12, Pastor Rick, look at me just a second, you and Hines. I used to teach that class. You, Rick, I think you took it with me. I used to teach that class. Used to give, I used to professionally give this test. But I got to think, and I'm glad we do this, but do you know the early church didn't have a spiritual test, gifts test? The early church didn't have a dis test, Hines. You know what the early church had? They had apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and they had the Holy Spirit working in the church. And the best thing you can do is start getting involved in ministry and start experimenting. Love God and love each other, and you're bound to discover your gift one way or the other. Can you say amen? I want you to stand with me, and I'll give you real quickly your growth work, and then we're going to pray and, and uh, get ready for the next service. First thing I'd say to you is open your gift. Open your gift. Every year we get gift cards from people who are so kind to remember us and we don't even know they've come in until after the Christmas Eve service. And all during the year, I get to send out thank you notes. I say, I know it's August. I know it's September. But today we used your gift card. Now that card, inflation may have caused it to lose a little bit of money, but that card has done me no good until I opened up that gift card and used it. Do you follow what I'm saying? You need to discover, you need to develop, and then you need to deploy or use that gift. You need to open it and use it. Somebody came to me one time and says, Pastor, 
I gave you a check. You've never cashed it. I said, you gave me a check? I said, oh, I get a check. I cash it. Oh, yeah, I gave it. Well, I didn't give it to you, Pastor. I gave it to so-and-so. And they were supposed to give it to you. And I go, oh, well, I haven't received it yet. You see, God has given you a gift. And God doesn't go through me to give you the gift. God doesn't go through these pastors or Hines to give you a gift. God doesn't go through a priest. God is your God. And Jesus Christ descended. He conquered sin, death, hell. We just went through all of that. He conquered that, not only so he could save you, but because he has a gift for you to glorify him with by serving one another with. So it's important we open these gifts. Number two, get through the discipleship classes at Woodland. Take advantage of shape. Shape is where we talk about your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability. We talk about your passion and your experience. And we help you then get plugged into a ministry. Then number four, stand firm for the Bible and stand firm against false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching going on. There are people who say the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. That's false. You can disagree with me on that. I believe the Bible clearly teaches the gifts of the Spirit are for today. There are people today saying that we don't need to talk about the blood. We're way That's false. We need to talk about the blood of Jesus. If you're not willing to talk about the blood of Jesus, we cannot have koinonia. If you don't want to believe that God gives gifts to the church, we can still have koinonia because that's not a core essential. I don't mind it when people don't disagree with, people disagree with me on non-essentials. But there are some things like salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the cross, those are essentials. Can you say amen? The third thing I'd like you to see, or the fifth thing, and finally, is do your part. Do your part to reflect God's love, Christ's love, in the church and our community. Downriver needs your gift. Father, I thank you for spiritual gifts that you've blessed the church with. I thank you that as we all acknowledge in the first part of this message, we all have gifts because you have said you've given to each one of us a spiritual gift, a special gift to serve you with. Lord, I thank you for the gifts of ministry that you have given to the church. And I pray that we will work together in harmony to bring glory to you by loving each other and reaching our community for Christ. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Pastor Rick is going to come and dismiss you this morning.